I was on the mower yesterday and I'm just going, how, how do you get people who don't see something to see it? Now, I'm just going to say something and, you know, uh, you can walk out if you need to, all right? That's all right. Um, I remember when I was a kid, you know, not, I'm, uh, yeah, I think it was when I was a kid, I was, I was at the back of church, it's about halfway through the message, um, and, uh, and my dad was preaching because he's a prison minister, and this guy just got up and left. And he came in and he goes, is that the regular preacher? And I said, yeah, it is actually. He goes, <laughs> like that, and just kind of kept going, all right? So you might be thinking that today, is, like, is this a normal guy? Well, it is, all right? He may not be normal, but he is a normal guy. Okay, and that's, and so what I'm going to do is we're just going to push kind of in that direction today and push for you guys to respond and to see something that's difficult to see. All right? Now, how do you actually see something that's hard to see? Well, in a spiritual sense, you see something that's hard to see when the Holy Spirit gives you power to see it. You with me? And the truth is, and you know, and don't be offended. This is where I was going before. Don't be offended by this, right? But you guys have lagged a little bit behind the 830 service for a while. Okay, is, is that okay to say? You guys, you guys, see, I shouldn't have come. There's something good on pay TV this morning. I should have just been watching that, all right? I'm just saying, the 1030 service historically at the project has been sharp, attentive, um, responsive, just, you know, really engaging. And I'm just saying, lately, you guys have just been overtaken by the 830 service, all right? And what we're doing here is not like, oh, okay, so church is a competition now. No, it's not a competition Right, but today I'm just gonna. It's like let's engage with it. Let's engage with what's going on. So I'm gonna pray for you, and uh, ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to see something um, special today. All right. My commitment to you is that I will light the fuse and burn up whatever else is left in Sondergel today. All right, and uh, you just respond to whatever God's kind of saying to you and communicating to you. Is that cool? Is that a deal? Are you guys are you guys okay? Some of you are going. Excellent. He's going to pray. Everyone's eyes will be closed. I'm sneaking out the back. All right. Hopefully not. Right. God's got good things in plan. So uh, in store, I should say. So let me pray and uh, and we'll get started. God, thank you that you love us. Thanks that you help us to see things that are really important and really lovely and great and grand. And uh, I'm just asking you today that you do that again for us. You'd help us to see important things and to just have. Just like in the distance, things that we think are important. Just blurry and in the distance and right up close and up front, there'd just be clarity about the things that matter, clarity about your son, uh, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us to see him today. Amen. All right, let's get into it. Here's what we're going to do today. Four acts of Mark, that the gospel is good news. Most people miss Jesus, a counterintuitive kingdom and righteousness and peace kiss each other. All right. Mark 1, 1 says this. The beginning of the what? Let me try again. The beginning of the what? Excellent. Good. Um, Of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who knows what gospel means? Good news, right? So it needs to look like it, right? This is my first point today. Does it look like... People around you, when they look at you, do they think, that person's got good news? Like, do you smile? Oh, serious. Like, you got good news, right? It's like, man, have I got some... Now, th- listen, this is not just like good news of reading the Chronicle. Oh, actually, that's probably not good news at all, okay? 
Do you know the thing about the Chronicle that's the worst news is how much you pay for it and then you read it and you, what am I even doing with this thing, right? But here's the thing. It's not just like a newspaper. It's not like a, a, a news story is coming. This good news, which is the gospel, is like world-changing good news. So are you pumped about it? Like you just, you've got to get pumped about that, right? You just go, I've actually got some world-changing good news. Now listen, some of you last week, right, if you came to church last week, you heard me talk about how you can kind of end up being a victim to other people's opinions and all that sort of stuff. And some of you probably uh, maybe just thought, right, hey, let's go out and give it to them. All right? Now listen, you, you've got to be careful doing that, right? Because when you look at the way that Jesus did it, what did he do? Well, he gave it to the religious guys. And I would just encourage you, if you see some religious people that make it all about rules, and they, and they just kind of twist it all. You got a license from me, don't quote me, but you got a license from me just to kind of give it to them, all right? In a really nice way. But here's the thing. The sinners, what did the sinners? The sinners loved Jesus, didn't they? Didn't they love to be with him? Why? I'll tell you why. Because he led with the gospel. That's why. He led with good news. He led with his character. He led with who he was. He led with his love for him. Now, did he at times actually put some moral standards out there with sinners? Yeah, he did, right? The woman got caught in adultery. Jesus said, right, oh, here's the deal. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. He did do it. But, you know, what's he doing? He's leading with the gospel. And what happened? They all liked him. Religious people didn't, but they liked him, didn't they? They liked hanging out with him. Come to our place for dinner. So here's the thing. You've got good news which you need to get excited about, right? And maybe today one of the things you need to respond to is, God, I'm not that excited about the good news. And you just, God, help me to be excited. This is world-changing good news. And so what you need to do is you need to go to people you lead with the gospel. You lead with the gospel. Now listen, the actual word gospel was used outside of a Christian context, all right? Strictly speaking, it's not a Christian word, the word gospel. You know, if you actually get to the specific definition of what that word means, it means news that brings joy. Who says amen to that? Who's like, it's good news. Put your hand up if it's good news. See, on judgment day, right, you're going to snap your collarbone. Your arm's going to be going up so quick on judgment day, right? It's going to go, how good is this? This is amazing. This is incredible, you know? And it's like today you're just going, yeah, it's good. No, no, see, it's not. It's more than that. It's like it's more than good. This is good, good. This is just amazing good news. What's the good news? The good news is that God didn't leave you all bound up and stuck. He didn't leave you in the rubbish of your life. He didn't leave you in your sin and your junk. He didn't leave you there waiting for him to come in and punish you for your disobedience. He came and he put his life on the line and he died for you so that you could be free. Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> you with me? He came and he put his life on the line so that you could be free and be forgiven. Oh. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you here. That's all I'm doing. <sighs> all right, listen. You go right back and in, uh, in Roman culture you had a gospel. Right? And there was, there's an inscription, historical inscription, in a Greek city, not even making this up, says the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. All right? It's written on it. 
Okay, gospel is, was not a religious term. It was like good news, right? So Caesar Augustus has been born and he actually gets coronated and it's good news for everyone. And the people who actually tell good news, you know what they're called? Evangels, evangelists, right? And some of you just kind of being messed uh, a bit with American TV evangelists. You with me? Just like I've seen too many of those guys and they're up to something, right? But here's the bottom line. Your job is to be an evangel to tell good news all right so if someone ascends to the throne in rome what happens well there's an evangel that goes out and tells everyone all right if someone has a battle and they win the person comes back who are they they're the evangel they're telling people good news what about this i love this quote jesus has come anything can happen now i'll just stop on that this is tim keller right Jesus has come, anything can happen now. Now, if you think back pre-Jesus, we've got trouble, right? We've got people disobeying God, we've got people getting into slavery, we've got people just getting trashed and trashing each other. It's kind of like humanity is in a straitjacket on the way to hell. You with me? But Jesus comes and now anything can happen. Like things are on the table now that would never have been on the table. And you've got to get excited about that, Amen. You get excited about that. But the gospel's not just good news. Listen to this. It's actually powerful news. All right? Romans 1, 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the what? The gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. Now listen. One of the things that I reckon I didn't have as clear in my head when I first started preaching probably 15 years ago 20 years ago is just how powerful it is to get into people's heads the gospel god's kindness his gentleness his help his support and i get that now all right and i'm getting it more and more every day and so when i get up and preach it's like it's not just about nailing the stuff that people get wrong the things i say i've got to have a gravitational pull toward by the gospel right the gospel's kind of it's like a dyson vacuum cleaner you know you stick that thing in the middle of a bunch of pet hair and stuff's just getting sucked into it, right? And that's kind of how the gospel's meant to work, right? It's like you stick it in places and it just is powerful and it's actually drawing people toward it. Is, is everyone okay? That, that's what you've got, right? That's the good news that you've actually got. You've got that kind of good, good news. It's like the engine room. Now, is anyone kind of feeling happy right now? anyone so anyone feeling happy about the good news today the, the, the gospel excellent good so i'm just going to push that a little bit further so i'm going to show you a, uh, a clip this is from the abc news on friday night and this is this is good news on the abc news all right my wife hates the abc news she just wants to watch channel nine somehow we just end up watching the abc news because i've put a lock on the remote control no, i'm kidding but anyway here's the uh, abc news check this out there's a bit of a, uh, the sound drops out part of the way through, so uh, don't, um, don't, don't freak out at that point. A woman has had to do the unthinkable to save her baby's life. She threw her two-day-old infant and her toddler from the window of her burning apartment. Neighbours scrambled to help with sheets and a mattress. And despite the ordeal, the mother and her children were unharmed. 
trapped inside this burning building, a woman, her newborn baby and a two-year-old. Something exploded and someone heard and we heard, uh, help, help, help. She was terrified, she was yelling and screaming. Neighbours tried to break down the door, but it was deadlocked from the inside. One man threw a rock to smash the window. And my dad and his friend, they got mattresses and a piece of cloth so the babies so they can land on the blanket and if they're too heavy, they fall on the mattress. Perched on the windowsill with thick smoke billowing around her, the woman threw her toddler five metres down. in red into the arms of a local hero. She was pleading that please save my baby. So I just put my arm uh, and she just dropped it. I, I, and I knew like I have to ca catch that baby. Incredibly, neither of the children were harmed. I have to tickle her <laughs> and to see that if she's moving and she started to move. To be honest with you, when I was holding it, I feel like I'm gonna cry. The f Is that beautiful? That's, that's good news, right? Here's, here's the thing, right? I, I just love that. I mean, it, it just it moved me when I watched it a bit, all right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm there with him, you know, and I'm just going, you know, even that bit where he goes, she just dropped it, and I thought, I have to catch that baby. <laughs> you know, just a beautiful kind of statement. And then at the end there, he kind of goes, you know, I had to tickle her, and then once I tickled her and she, was, she moved, I, I, I have to say I started to cry. Why? He got moved by something wonderful happening, a good news story actually happening, and he was actually part of it. Yeah. Now, how much more so Jesus coming to the earth? I mean, humanity is not like that apartment where there's something random has happened in the apartment and it's been on fire. We deadlocked the door and then set fire to it. That's what humanity did, right? And it's on fire and it's gonna, it's, it's, we're, gonna, we're gone. Unless the fire brigade comes, unless a ladder comes, unless someone comes in to save us, we're gone. That can move you, right? So I want to ask you this morning, does it move you? Does the gospel move you today? You see up the back, since we've been doing Mark, we've had these uh, little versions of the message, which is, um, which is Mark. We've been saying to people, look, just take them all. Give them to someone. Get someone to interact with Jesus directly. Read the Bible. We're not going to buy any more. I'd love it if you just all took the rest of them and gave them to people, all right? And gave them to people that need to hear about Jesus. How are you going talking about the good news? You might say, oh, people will think I'm an idiot. Yeah, they probably will. But do you know the good news is gooder than someone else calling you an idiot, right? You, just, like, you could actually get consumed by that. You could kind of go... This is so good. He could call me an idiot. She could call me an idiot. And that would be, I wouldn't care because this is so good. Do you get that? It's not that it wouldn't hurt, but you're just kind of going, no, this is, this is world-changing news for me. Now, I've been listening to a guy from the States called Matt Chandler. And um, he's a preacher over there, hoping, you know, by well, God's grace, if we end up over there this year doing redemption group leader training, we get to go to his church. Love to go to his church. Do you know he used to be a full-on anti-Christian, non-believing, non-Jesus-following person. He's about my age. He's running a, a pretty big church over there. He's head of the, a church planning network. God's doing amazing things with him. You know where it all started? Someone who knew him came up to him and said, Matt, where am I going to tell you about Jesus? You notice how he put that? Where am I going to tell you about Jesus? It wasn't um, 
when am I going is, is to, is it going to work? I, do you think we could maybe do that? This guy's just come up and gone, no, I'm telling you about Jesus. We've just got to work out the location. All right? And it's like, this is not, like some of you just, at that point, you just kind of go, I thought Christianity was for moderates. No, no, Christianity is not for moderates. All right? Now, it's not for fundamentalists who go out and torch things, right? But you just got to get in on this. This is not us going out, you know, and trying to just convert everyone to our point of view. This is good news. That's what it is. It's good news. And we just want to tell people about the good news. True? It's like they can do with the news whatever they want. Just like you can do with a chronicle paper, whatever you want at the end. Probably wouldn't even put fish in it, right? But, you know, you can do whatever you want with the news. But we're just going to tell you because we think this is great, great news. So in the next couple of weeks, you can just guaranteed Easter weekend is going to be all about Jesus. So why don't you just start praying if you're not already and say, God, who would you want me to invite to church? People just come to church at Easter and Christmas more often than they do at any other time in the year. So just pray for it and say, I want this person to hear the good news. God, can you move uh, in them to stir them up to come to church? Not because the project wants to build a kingdom. We're not, the project is not building a kingdom. All right? I'm not interested in the project building a kingdom, but we're massively interested in building Jesus' kingdom. All right? We want to see his reign extend everywhere, which is why we keep preaching and talking to you. And you kind of, sometimes you probably go, oh, you're pushing a bit far. What are we doing? Well, what I'm doing is I'm just going, let's get the reign of Jesus over every area of your life. Let's get it over the whole of Australia and the whole of the world because it's a good reign, right? He's a good king. Is everyone with me? That's what we're doing. So uh, Easter Friday, uh, we're going to have the Easter epic. There's, there's going um, to be a kids' church that's going to run the full kind of duration. So we're going to be here at 9.30, just one service on Easter Friday. We're going to have the Easter epic. Here's a trailer for this, um, just before I roll it, actually. This trailer's still got a couple of minor, minor amendments, but this is what we've got so far. Carly Graham's heading it up this year, and she's just doing a great job. So looking forward to, uh, to Easter uh, Good Friday morning. Here we go.
We're good. church right is to make the good news look good and get it to people that's what we're doing all right and that's what god calls you to do with all the people that you know that don't know him and don't follow him it's like it's good news all right so let's get the good news out be a good evangel in the lead up to easter and maybe god uh, let's just see what god does he can do whatever he wants let's just see what he does a word of warning though Caiaphas, the high priest, was the one uh, from the Jewish point of view that condemned Jesus. You could miss the good news. Listen to what uh, Caiaphas says in John 11, verse 49 to 53. But one of the Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now listen, what's Caiaphas doing? He's the representative of God. He's prophesying on God's behalf that Jesus was going to save the nation without even believing it. Do you see that? Like God's using him as his tool to say something that's actually true. And he's kind of like he's saying, all right, uh, it, it's better for Jesus to die than for everyone to perish. Who thinks that's true? Well, for us it is, right? If you've got any kind of self-preservation inside of you, you're just going, amen, Caiaphas. We're with you on that one, all right? It would be better for someone else to die than for me. I don't want to be the one stuck in the apartment that's burning down. It would be better if Jesus was. And somehow he's prophesying this and he's got God speaking through him and he completely misses it. All right, number two. Most people missed Jesus. Listen to this. This is about Pilate from Mark and then a, a section from John 18. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes of the whole council and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Do you see what's happening here? Like there's something going on. And Pilate can kind of see that there's something going on here, but he's not entering into it. He's actually missing Jesus. And we get a bit more of a sense of the interactions between Jesus and Pilate in this passage out of John 18. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now listen, just stop for a sec there. Listen to the way that Jesus responds to Pilate. The original question was, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus goes, Annoying Jesus. Did you say that? Or did people say that about me? What's he doing? He's pushing in. He's pushing in upon Pilate to get a response from Pilate. Jesus says in the middle there, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, classic Jesus. You say that I'm a king. It's just like, what's he doing? It's just, well, I'm just going to push in again. 
on you and see if you're going to respond to who I am. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? You hear that? It's like Pilate's at the edge. He's kind of tiptoeing around. He's kind of, he, he sticks his toe, you know, in the water every now and then. Oh, that's interesting. It's, no, it's a bit chilly. You know, I'll pull it out. And he's just kind of, you know, he's, he's like in and out. And in the end, he misses Jesus. People in Mark miss Jesus all the time. Do you remember these? The people wanted a hero. So they kept coming to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Don't tell anyone. He'd heal them, go, don't tell anyone. Because they're just coming, coming to him to get what they want out of him. Other people didn't get him. The Jewish leaders missed him. The disciples got confused by the stories he told, the parables. Peter gets him for a split second. And then Jesus goes, uh, I'm actually going to go and die they're going to kill me. And you have this classic moment, Peter goes, ah, ah, Jesus, just come over here for a sec, can you? Like, you know, you're God incarnate, author of life, uh, sovereign God, you, you haven't got this one right. So he pulls him aside, right? And he's having this, you know, he's having this debate with Jesus and going, you haven't got this right, you've got it wrong. All right, now just let me take a little aside here. I wonder how many of you are doing that at the moment. All right? You're giving Jesus a lecture about what you think is the right thing to do. You with me? It's like he's told you something to do. You know, I mean, one of the classic things I reckon from people that I hear is people going, God, God, would you lead me and just show me what you want me to do? And a whole bunch of times I think God's just going, well, I told you what to do. Just go and do the last thing I told you and then I'll let you know what the next thing is. You with me? And it's like we're just going, God, tell me, you know, it's like, just do it. Don't stop pulling Jesus aside to the side and lecturing him about what you think is a good plan. None of you do that, do you? Let me tell you a story. I had this guy live next door um, to me in, this, in a house. He wasn't in a tent. But prior to us uh, actually building the house, he used to just come and dump all these grass clippings on my block. And here I was, you know, I thought it was the most fabulous thing ever, the first block of land I've ever owned. So I'm out there pushing my own 670 square metres. And the reason why I know is because it felt like that much by the end of it. Um, you know, and just trying to keep it spicko and just working really well. And what's he doing? Well, he's just walking over and he's just shoving his grass clippings in the middle of my, my uh, block. Anyway, I just thought it's time. It's time we had a chat about this. He's just trashing my stuff. So I went up to him and he was cleaning his windows and I started talking to him. You know what? He didn't even turn around. This rude individual. He didn't even respond or acknowledge my presence. And I found out he was deaf. <laughs> I'm serious. He was deaf. All right? And so we had this strained relationship. From that point on, we had this strained kind of relationship the whole way through when we lived next door to each other uh, to the point one day, like, no, I won't even get into that. But he, he threatened to hit me one day. And this is, and some of you are going, really? Is this guy, is, is he really leading a church? Like, <laughs> he's got those kind of relationships with his neighbours. Well, by God's grace, not now. But uh, back then, that was a, that was a tense one. Anyway, it, it got to the point um, for me where I, there was one point in time I just felt like God uh, just put it on my heart. It's just like, would you invite him over for a barbecue? And it's just like, okay, Jesus, we're going to have to have a chat, all right? So you just, you just get away from those other disciples and we're going to... All right, and what's happening? Well, I reckon for about a month, 
He was just on me and on me and on me. This is God, just on me and on me and on me about would you invite him over for a barbie if I wanted you to? I'm just going, no, no, he's not coming over, all right? And I'm pulling Jesus aside and saying, no, that's not a good plan. You know, God incarnate, ruler of the universe, all-knowing, all-wise one, you got that one wrong, all right? And I'm right on this one. And it's, it was just this, but who knows that what God does is he outlasts you. Isn't that true? If he loves you, he just wears you down. And in the end, now I don't have a happy ending. I didn't have him over for a barbecue, but I did get to the point where I said to God, I said, if you want me to have him over for a barbecue, we'll do a barbecue. All right? And so what was going on in there is just me just having it out with Jesus and just kind of going, I think you've got it wrong. And some of you might be doing that at the moment. He's just pressing on you and he's just going, here's where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. And you're going, Jesus, we're just going to have to chat. All right? You just, there's something wrong. Now, what happens to Peter is pretty intense, right? What does Jesus do? He calls him the devil. Now, like, that's not a good thing. All right? Peter's not going home and cracking word open. All right? And getting his CV open and just going, right, there's one of my credentials, man. Jesus called me the devil. All right? Jesus, God of the universe, calls him the devil. Like, that's, that's not a good thing, right? But it's clear that Peter has gone from getting something to missing it. His family thought that he was insane. Remember that? Jesus' family. You see, people have moments of getting Jesus. Remember that woman with the flow of blood? She kind of, she got him a little bit. Peter had that moment in uh, Mark 8 where he, where he kind of, um, got Jesus a little bit. The, the woman with the perfume, she kind of got Jesus. But do you know the person in the Bible that got Jesus the most? Do you know who it was? It was a soldier at Jesus' execution. And you just go, huh? A soldier. A Gentile soldier gets Jesus and he's the first one in Mark's gospel that gets it. What's he doing? Well, you know what this soldier's doing? He's at the cross and he's facing Jesus. He's not, you know, over here hunching down getting a drink. He's not over here, you know, writing case notes about the crucifixion. You know, it all kind of went according to plan and everything's good just in case there's a legal challenge after he's dead, which would be dumb anyway. But you get what I'm saying? He's not off doing all these other things. He's standing there and he's actually facing Jesus. This is how it rolls in mark 15 and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and at the ninth hour jesus cried with a loud voice eloi eloi lama sabachthani which means my god my god why have you forsaken me and some of the bystanders hearing it said behold he is calling elijah and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying wait let us see whether elijah will come and take him down and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him, listen to this, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now, you hear that and you go, oh, that's nice, right? But for Mark, the term son of God is just a huge call, all right? No one's actually said that about Jesus through the whole gospel of Mark. Commentators actually talk about the uh, Christological weight that that term actually carries. You see, the, the centurion is the first person in the gospel to actually, of Mark to actually see Jesus for the purpose for which he was born, and that's dying on a cross. And do you know what actually happens to him at that moment? Bam! He becomes a Christian because he sees the way that Jesus dies. Do you get that? It just changes his whole perspective. It changes where he's at. It changes what... 
he's actually seeing. Well, you think about this man, you just go, how many people has he executed? This is a guy that's killing God. And then, bam! This is the Son of God. And it tells you something about his heart. Martin Hengel, uh, a commentator, makes this uh, comment. He says, A crucified Messiah, Son of God or God, must have seemed a contradiction in terms to anyone. Jew, Greek, Roman or barbarian. Asked to believe such a claim and it will certainly have been thought offensive and foolish. You get that? Like he's not just in an offhanded way just kind of throwing that out there. It's just like, hey, I've got a good idea. Jesus is the son. There is something deep and significant that's actually going on for him right here. Now listen, how are you going at seeing Jesus and seeing God for who he truly is? You see, sometimes we can like, we can sit and we kind of go, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got that one squared away. Yeah, I went to church. Nah, I read Psalm 23 this morning. I, I think I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm seeing God. Well, listen, you probably just need to be a little bit more hesitant than that if that's where you're at. Now, I'm not saying that you don't see anything about God, but you better just kind of have a little bit of hesitancy and just say, I think I get some stuff, but man, I'd love to get some more. Man, I'd love to see it more clearly. You remember the, uh, the father in uh, Mark 9, his son's afflicted with an evil spirit. Remember what he said, he takes his boy to Jesus and Jesus asked his, his father, this is in Mark 9, 21, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood and has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Listen to what the father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to them, if you can, if you can, you get that? He's come along, dad's come along and he's just gone. This is a tough one, all right? I've got a kid and he's getting thrown into the fire. He's getting burnt. He's getting blisters on his skin from the fire and from the coals that he's landing on top of. This is a tough one, right? He comes to Jesus and he goes, listen, if you, do, you get, do you get what I'm saying? It's just going, I think you can do something, but I'm not sure. It's just like, I'm in, but then I'm kind of not in. You know, it's kind of that kind of deal, right? And who knows that we can be like that with God, right? Because yeah, no, I'm in, but now I'm not in. You know, so, well, I'm in, and then something happens, and I get all anxious. I go, oh, now I'm not in. All right? I'm just going, I don't know, right? And what's Jesus going to say to this dad? He's going to go, listen, don't go in, and then not in. Come all in. <laughs> Come all in. And he actually says to him, he says, um, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, listen to the cry of the father. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you hear that? That's a good cry, isn't it? And maybe some of you need to cry that out today. Where you just go, I'm in, but there's bits of me that are not in and I want the bits that aren't in to be in. (laughs) That's kind of what it is. It's like press in, press in and cry out to Jesus. Don't just kind of sit there or, or do life and just kind of go, yeah, I get it. Just go, I think I'll get some. Oh God, would you just help me to see more? Will you help me to see more of you and get more excited and connected with the truth of who you are? And what I want to do just for 30 seconds just now, and we'll just do it in, in silence, is I just want to pull up. That's, it's pretty full on. Like some of you might go, oh, God, he's, he's just, I don't know what he had for breakfast, right? But this is weird. But seriously, today, I just want to pull up. It's been probably a bit intense for you. Hopefully not. I hope it sounds good, right? Because this is all good.
But I do want you to just stop for 30 seconds here in silence and just, just can you have a think about that? And maybe even if you think to pray, you could just cry out like the father of the, um, whose son had, uh, was being oppressed by an evil spirit, you know, and just say, God, I, I, I do. Jesus, I do see you. But Jesus, I'd like to see some more. You know, Jesus, I'd like to just enjoy you more, just get a fuller understanding of who you really are. The Holy Spirit's the one that can bring that for you. Um, so why don't just take 30 seconds now we'll just have a bit of silence and then we'll, we'll move on to the last couple of points Point number three, a counterintuitive kingdom. Notice this uh, in Mark 14. We, uh, we looked at this last week. And when he came, he went up to him at once. This is Judas. and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, just so that you know, the actual term kiss of death comes from this. So if you go online and you look at online dictionaries, uh, a lot of them are actually going to point you back to this moment where Judas actually kisses uh, Jesus. Uh, and they lay, laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And we know this from Matthew, uh, that Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will not at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. Here's the deal. I mean, you've got to have some pity for the disciples here, right? Over here, they just fell asleep three times. All right, and they got busted for that. And then over here, what are they doing? They just go, right, oh, there's an army here, so we've got to go at them. So they grabbed a sword and they lopped off part of the, the guy's ear, right? And when you think about it, those are kind of the two extremes of humans. Either we fight or we sleep, or somewhere in between those. True? That's like, and that's what's going on here. And you can imagine the disciples are just going, all right, so it was wrong to sleep. So we're fighting, and that's wrong. What are we doing? We don't even know what we're doing anymore. And in some ways, you can kind of understand them just going, we've got to, we're out of here. We're just going to run away. We're just going to get out of here. We don't know what to do. This is kind of Jesus through and through, isn't it? And this is what we've seen in, uh, in Mark, is we're seeing Jesus doing things counterintuitively. Why is he doing things counterintuitively? He's doing them because he's establishing a new kingdom. Have you ever noticed something about revolutions? Is when revolutions replace come about like on on planet earth you know what tends to happen in the end is you end up with the same kind of administration just a different person leading it have you noticed that but see when jesus comes he's starting a kingdom with radically different values and priorities in it and people are just confused about it you see what humans normally do is we normally take the typical values of the world the priorities of the world and just embed them in our current philosophy so in the middle of the garden when a, 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 a crowd of thugs comes to take out jesus what do they do well what you do is you use power that's what you do so you grab a sword and you try to kill someone do you get that that's kind of what we do right but that's not what jesus is up to we've seen jesus the whole way through mark acting in surprising ways anyone with me on that it's just weird man it's like what 
What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing that for? That's not going to end up the way. And then it does. You're just going, I'm wrong. <laughs> it did end up exactly the way that it needed to, but it just doesn't make sense to us. Do you know part of the reason why is because your intuition is dodgy. Bottom line, it's just the fallen kind of intuition is dodgy. So you go back to Proverbs and it says, um, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it only leads to what? Some of you know, it's death, all right? Intuition is dodgy. So what is God doing? God's coming in the Holy Spirit to live inside of you if you love him, to give you a new heart so that you've got a new intuition. True? But who knows you still get it wrong? Because you don't, you don't do things the new kind of kingdom way. There's new orders, there's new priorities, there's a new administration that Jesus is establishing here. There's new values, there's new assumptions and goals. He's going to reverse perceptions so that you can't really trust your intuition. But listen to these, listen to these. These are the strange oddities that have happened in the book of Mark. Jesus, like for over half the book, has been going, don't tell anyone about me. Seriously? Like there's got to be a book tour, a speaking tour, and some kind of short video clip on Facebook. And he starts telling people, I'm going to die. He's just going, oh, yeah, okay, maybe one day. No, no, people are going to kill me. They're actually going to kill me, and that's actually going to be part of the deal. And he's going, nah. And then he pulls out this one, and this one's still kind of makes our head spin, doesn't it? It's like, seriously, if you love your life and you don't want to lose it, lose it. Just going, what? what? Lose it and you'll find it. Yeah, yeah, and no, I'm all good for it. Do you know what I mean? And you're just going, that's not making sense, right? But this is the kind of administration and kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Jesus goes out and he touches lepers and instead of him getting clean, him getting unclean, they get clean. You notice that? just doesn't seem to work. A woman pours perfume on Jesus. It's probably worth 40 grand. And Jesus goes, this is like the, the most amazing thing. He's going, okay, all right. Okay, not getting that. And then the, you remember back in Mark 2, you got the guys, the friend who's a paralytic. You know, we're going to bust through someone's roof of their house and they don't have um, insurance for that, you know, because someone's actually doing it on purpose and Jesus is in there. They lower this guy down. All they want is so heal this guy. And what does Jesus do? His sins are forgiven. And everyone just, oh. Do you know what I mean? That's, what? You know, and people start, this is counterintuitive. It's just, what? Is that? And then he goes, okay, listen, that's his biggest deal. And Jesus goes, just to show you that that's his biggest deal and I've dealt with that, I'm going to heal him. And he gets up and he walks. And then he starts healing on the Sabbath. He's getting that all wrong. Um, and then he's out in a boat. I mean, Jesus in the storm, right? Like, like, just think about it. The disciples think they're going to drown. And he's punching Zeds out up the other end of the boat. Do you get that? He's snoring. So, you know, so, some of you might go, isn't that a sin to snore? I don't know. Maybe it is in your house, okay? But I think if Jesus wanted to, he could. I'd, I'd give him that kind of freedom, that flexibility. But it's, do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's, that's weird. What on earth is he doing asleep in the middle of this thing? And then he outs an old lady. Do you remember that? A lady with the flow of blood, really shameful kind of thing in the culture. And he outs her. It's just like, who touched me? And all of a sudden, everyone, for this poor lady who's had this shameful condition, this poor lady, Jesus kind of outs her at that moment. Like weird, right? Then you've got that other one. The disciples are in the boat and they're struggling against the wind. Remember that one? And Jesus goes walking out to him on the water. And for all of us, we're going, he's going straight to him, man. It's like the, 
the fire brigade, they're going to put the rescue ladder straight out to the boat. What does he do? It actually says in Mark, he goes and he meant to go past them. What? You know, these guys are struggling. Like, what do you, what do you, and it's kind of like he's doing stuff and it's like in reverse there. You know, Peter, you know, Jesus calls Peter the devil after affirming him. And then you've got that, that section there that where the disciples are fighting about who's the greatest, who he wants to be great. Come on, you do, right? Everyone here wants to be great. Jesus doesn't poo-poo greatness, but he actually says, you want to be great, be the last one. That's how you be great. And he's gone. <laughs> how do you do that? And he's going, it just works. You just go, how? How does that work? Like, can you give me the fine print? And he's just going, not giving you the fine print. It just does. All right? It just does. And then the widow goes in the temple. Remember, she had two pennies. She puts the two pennies in and Jesus goes, listen, that lady put in more. I mean, let's just pause for a sec. It's even weird that Jesus is sitting next to where the offering's happening, right? He's watching people. He's going, what's going on there? He's just got a clipboard and a checklist. And I don't know. I don't know what he, but he's watching and he knows everything that's going on. Lady comes in, puts in two pennies. Everyone puts in, a lot of other people put in a lot more than that. And he says she gave the most. And then he kind of at the end, he goes, listen, the kingdom that I start is going to be inaugurated at my death. Doesn't make sense. So let's just quickly uh, wrap this point up and then move on to the last one. At the top of the world's lists and at the top of it, God's list of values are these. See, the world likes power. Uh, God says that he likes weakness. I think about that. It's like that is what matters to him. world loves money. Jesus is going, poverty. I love people who realize that they're poor. world loves success. Jesus values suffering. world loves recognition. Jesus goes, I love people who are feeling rejected. People who stay true to me, even though they're rejected, they rate highly for Jesus. You know, you go back, I didn't read it there, but you go back to this scripture here and it says in the middle there, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. So what are you doing? It's just like, seriously, we could have testimonies at church here, couldn't we? It's just like, yeah, man, someone really just verbally abused me, not because I was rude to them, but I just wanted to tell them about Jesus and I loved them. I did it the best way that I could and they didn't like me. They thought I was an idiot and the whole church could just do like the Toyota jump, couldn't we? You know what I'm saying? It's like, yes! That's what Jesus is saying here, right? Because the good news is so good that it overpowers this kind of stuff going on and God values people who take that kind of risk for him. Michael Wilcox says this, he says, Christians will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world calls desirable. Let me read this quick paragraph to you from Tim Keller. He says, say there's a person living completely in the values of the kingdom of this world and another person who is learning to belong to the kingdom of God and each of them has a great job. Both suddenly learn that they're about to lose their jobs and they know they'll likely never recover that socioeconomic status. In the kingdom of this world, this feels like the end of your life. The kingdom of this world teaches you to base your identity on status, money and power. Without them, your identity is gutted. If you play by the rules of the kingdom of this world, you might do anything to keep your job. Maybe even lie or cheat or stab others in the back. But if you're starting to get rooted in the kingdom of God, 
You know losing your job is not going to be easy or pleasant, but you've learned that when weakness and suffering, poverty and rejection are near, listen to this, the kingdom of God is near. It's the time when you come to grips with your real treasure, your real identity. What am I saying? If you're experiencing any of those things on the right-hand side, you are so close to where God is. Do you get that? Like if you're here today and you're just going, man, I feel really weak and I can't even get myself out of bed in the morning. You're close. You're close to the kingdom of God because God loves people who are weak who admit it to him. You with me? Is, is any, like, that's good news, isn't it? You with me? It is, right? You just go, whoa, man, I'm re- actually really close. Like, the thing is that we kind of push away from weakness, don't we? So, whoa, I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong. And you just go, okay, well, if that's the way that you're going to go, you're going to push yourself further and further away from God. If you admit weakness, all of a sudden we're getting really, really close to him and we're close to his kingdom. We're in his kingdom. Same with poverty, suffering, rejection. Any time that any of those things are happening, Jesus is saying, oh, you're really close now. You know, if it was a game, I don't know whether any of you still play, you know, people go, oh, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, warmer, no, cold, 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 warmer, warmer, hotter, hotter, really hot, you're going to burn yourself. You know that game? This is kind of Jesus here just going counterintuitive. You want to be close to the kingdom, you want to be close to him and what he's up to. Those are the things that he values in his kingdom. That's the revolution he came to set up. All right. I wonder whether you're in a place at the moment where um, you're moving toward things that are counterintuitive to you. Whether Jesus is saying, come this way. You're just going, don't want to go that way. going come this way and you just go well that's there's some things going to happen there i just think aren't very good i know it's going to be good you know you lose peter lose your life you you really want to find it you lose it you know come just come this way well i don't like being weak i want to be strong in front of people i want to talk about how i'm strong i want people to think that i'm strong and i want to have money i want to not have money he's saying no you you come with me and you use your money for me. And maybe you miss out on things that you could get with your money because it's a new kingdom. It's not a revolution that gives you the same old thing with a different leader. It's a whole new kind of kingdom. And do you know, I just want to tell you today, that's really, really good news for you. Do you know that? And that some of you, I think God will just be going to push into what doesn't make sense. God's just kind of going, come here. Come here, Peter. Whatever your name is, just come here. This way. Just come this way. This is a good way. Trust me with this way. It's a good way. Just going, it doesn't make sense to me. And he'd just go, yeah, it doesn't, right? Because your intuition's out. Your intuition's out. Just come with me. Last point. Beautiful um, verse out of Psalm 85. 10 steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace kiss each other do you know where righteousness and peace kiss each other is on the cross you see if god's righteous and he doesn't provide any sacrifice for you then you're in trouble there's no peace at that point there's righteousness but not peace but he comes he dies on the cross and in the cross pays 
the penalty for your stuff so that righteousness and peace can kiss one another. You notice in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus talks to the Father and he says, uh, Dad, I, I just, if, if I don't have to drink from this cup, that'd be really great. And what's that cup? That cup is God's anger and God's wrath. And some of you might even say this morning, uh, you might just go, uh, can we just have a God of love and actually leave the wrath and the anger stuff out? I've got it. Can we just kind of leave that alone? But do you know what? You can't love someone without anger being involved. Have you ever noticed that the more that you love someone, the angrier you get when they're harmed or abused? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, parents really know this with their kids. It's like, don't touch my kid. I mean, you see someone going after your kid and you're just going, now I'm getting angry. Why? Because you actually love them. That's why you get angry. You see, if you have kids and someone starts giving them a really hard time and you don't get angry about it, what does it say? What does it say? You don't love them. Do you see that? Like if God actually is a God of love, he needs to get angry. You see, God's wrath is a function of his justice, but not only his justice. It's a function of his love. God loves everything that he's made. And that's one reason why God actually gets angry. And if you think about it, God's anger is far more expansive about the things that are wrong in this world than just even that word anger or wrath. Like there's, some of you know better than me by experience the brutal evil things that exist in this world. And you know that if God never got angry about that stuff, you probably couldn't love him. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like such bad things have happened to me. If God doesn't get angry about those things, he's not lovable to me in any way because it's obvious that he doesn't care about me. There was this uh, article uh, online this week about uh, Billy Brownless, um, an AFL uh, fellow. I just want to read a, a section of that article. An emotional Billy Brownless has opened up about the hurt and anger he has suffered since newsbreak of his friend and fellow AFL footy show personality Gary Lyons' affair with his ex-wife Nikki. Brownless said he shot off angry texts that you wouldn't want to repeat on this show to Lyon and Nikki after hearing the news of their affair and had not talked with Lyon for months. I mean, we can read more of this article. He, he, at some one point in the article, he goes, you don't touch a man's wallet and you don't touch a man's wife. So he's just got this friend who kind of cheats on him by taking his wife from him, and he's just angry. Why? I would say because he loves. Th there's love involved, all right? There's a friendship, there's, there's his wife, and then it's had this spin-off effect on his kids, all right? God's anger, in a sense, at one point, at some point, comes out of his love. They do go together. You see, if God is loving and good, he must be angry at evil, angry enough to do something about it. And here's where I, uh, I, wanna, I want us to finish today. I don't know whether you noticed, but you've got the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prays to his Father. There's another garden in the Bible, and it's the Garden of Eden. And I want you just to see a bit of a comparison between these two gardens. You see, in the Garden of Eden, humanity turned their back on God. They disobeyed God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, something different actually happened. Look at this. In the Garden of Eden, the devil came along and said, don't listen to God, just get what you want. It, it'll only take one more thing to be happy, that tree. I mean, how much does that lie kind of get peddled in our society? Just one more thing and you'll be happy. They give in. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is under pressure to divert from God's plan. You see that? He's under pressure. 
In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fail the test. They give in. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the good news this morning is that Jesus passed the test, didn't he? What did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God, didn't they? What's Jesus doing? Jesus, pretty much the complete opposite, opposite, is seeking out his father. He's just going, this is tough. This is really difficult. He's not trying to work it out on his own. He's kind of, I need to get to dad. If I can get to dad, it'll be okay. Adam and Eve are just going, oh, I think we can work this on out. In the Garden of Eden, God had to call out to Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus calls out to God. Do you see that? It's not like, Adam, Eve, uh, what are you guys doing? What, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing in that bush? What, you're wearing what? That can't be comfortable. <laughs> but what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus is calling out to his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Adam and Eve become less than human. See, humans in God's royal family are designed and made to withstand testing. And they didn't. Jesus withstood the test. He is the true human. He is the hope for everyone. And here's where I, um, I want to finish. You know, in the Garden of Eden, God says, you can't come back in here. And what does he set up? He sets up an angel with a flaming sword and says, you cannot come back in here again. The sword separates Adam and Eve from God's presence in a special way in the Garden of Eden. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus submits to the sword so that you can have access to God's presence again. Do you see that? Like that's, like you just, like I've got goosebumps right now. <laughs> just going, how good's that? You know, he just, he takes the hit, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, like God is everywhere, you know. And if you've been around Christian circles enough, you go, yeah, the omnipresence is God's everywhere. But no, no, we're not just talking about omnipresence. We're talking about God's special presence. It's just special presence, just like being in his presence. You see, Jesus is, well, God's presence is open to you now because of what Jesus did on the cross. So, I want to give you a couple of ways that you can respond today. Uh, I'd love for a bunch of us to pray for some of you. Okay? If that's what you'd like. Um, maybe today you're not, you're not following Jesus. You never made a formal commitment to follow Jesus. And today would be a really good day to do that. All right? Not because of any kind of manipulation or pressure. I'm just, I feel like what I've been trying to do is uh, it's just good news. It's good news. So let's lock it in. It's like, lock it in, Eddie. You know, I don't need to phone a friend. It's just like, let's just lock it in, right? Let's lock in this good news. And I'm going to seek after, seek after God and follow God and, and, and trust him to save me. What about this one? Do you see yourself as a bearer of good news? Do you? Look, where's, where's your... Are you a happy evangel? Tracking with me? Are, are you happy about it? Or it's like, oh yeah, that's that thing that we're supposed to do. <laughs> oh, that thing, yeah, no, Peter's, he's, yeah, no, yeah, he's at it again. He's guilting us into this thing. No, I'm not. Like, you, today you could actually kind of go, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is so good. 
I can tell people. This is so good, I need to communicate this to people. What about this one? I'm going to... I've got to finish. I'm just going to crack a, a, a huge can of worms out, right? And I'm not going to help you much with it, so it just might create a problem, okay? One of the uh, things that is just filled with controversy is this whole... If you've never heard of it, like, y- just hang in with me. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Has anyone, has anyone heard of it? He's kind of got a duck on you when you put your hand up. There's been a lot of controversy about it. Listen, at the end of um, Luke chapter 24, Jesus tells the disciples, stay in the city until power comes on you from on high. Why? Because he wanted them to be evangels. Right? Here's the thing. You actually need power to bear witness to Jesus. All right? And what actually happened is the Holy Spirit came in the upper room and they gone and got baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is like they actually got given this power from the Holy Spirit inside of them that was unique to go and do a, a specific thing. And this is, just as a quick side note, this is what I think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's a specific power for, for a task. That's what it seems to be. All right? Now, you can have, people can speak in tongues and all that sort of stuff, and I'm cool with all that stuff, but we're just not going there today because I'm over time. All right? And we'd need about another hour. But some of you today, you might just be going, yeah, I think I need some power. I need some power to do it. I need some bear, power to bear witness to God. Maybe you could even, if you're bold enough today, say, God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, just go and baptize me in your Holy Spirit, just like fill me with power so I can go and do the stuff that you are calling me to do and be a witness. Or maybe you need help to see Jesus today and you just want to cry out for that and you say i want to see him or maybe you're arguing with him that's <laughs> something and today's just the day he's going no that's no we're not going to argue anymore that's it we're done <laughs> end of the argument i'm going with you it doesn't make any sense to me at all and i think it's going to end up in a total disaster but i'm going with you on this one it's a weird thing how God comes through for us so often and then when he brings something new, you're just going to go, no, nah, I can't see how that's going to work. Sorry, I'm, no, I've got a better idea. Just go, no, nah, just go with him. How many times has he let you down? Is he leading you toward the counterintuitive and you need his help? And the last one here. Do you long to be in God's presence? Do you? Not just his generalised presence, but like... And in Acts, it talks about how times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. The Psalms talk about it all the time, this really special place that you can get in.